Peace to you. Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up with the next chapter in the book of 1 Kings. That's where we left off. And that chapter is uh, 3. And we're going to begin with verse 1 if you want to read along with me. Um, let's begin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's um Pharaoh is and so these events taking place with um the king of Egypt. Solomon is now the king. Now that David is his father is uh dead. Because I don't know that he's dead yet. I know he was near death in the last chapter. I don't know if he's actually officially died and revered and whatnot yet. Um, but now his son Solomon is reigning in his place. The insurrection has been handled and they're moving on. He's having a treaty made, an agreement with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And remember, like we've read already, the Israelites were in Egypt, that's in Africa, for more than 400 years. So we can't assume anything about the complexion and hair texture or anything of the people who we're reading about here, even though the people in modern times may be associated with a certain look. Um, we shouldn't assume nothing. Uh, these events are taking place in the Middle East and were in Africa itself for those four centuries, more than that. And that's according to the Bible. So we should assume nothing. Verse 2, meanwhile, the people sacrificed the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. So there's no church yet, as we say in plain English now in Christianity. Um, for them, there had no, been no solid building made yet. Um, I guess suppose, I guess they were still doing the tabernacle meeting, which was a tent. Um, that would be set up and moved from place to place, at least during the um, wilderness years, the 40 years that the people went through the wilderness. Um, I guess I figured they had built some sort of structure at this point, but I guess they had not. Um, verse 3, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. So that seems like a pretty exception. Something that you're not supposed to be doing, burning incense to or even recognizing uh, other quote-unquote gods. You're supposed to be, and that's according to what we've read as some of the different ordinances and statutes and whatnot in the Bible, uh, as we call it. It wasn't always called. It isn't called the Bible by everyone's scripture. So, uh, but we've read it already that that's what you're not supposed to do. And we see how even in modern times, though people and nations say they're God-fearing and believe everything from Genesis to Revelation and pump their Bibles, yet they break those commandments just in the day of the week, days of the week, for instance, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In saying those names, you're breaking that commandment, that order, I should say. There's a difference between the statutes, the ordinances, and the laws. And the commandments, they're all different things, though they get conflated as one. Um, but those things are all named after Norse gods. Uh, Thursday for Thor, for instance. Friday for Freya, for instance. They're named after literally other religious deities. 
Um, and yet, and it's against the orders in the scriptures to even say their names, yet though they get their names of the weeks. Um, pretty solidified in history now for a very, very long time. Those days of the weeks have days of the week have been uh in order. So in a sense, those deities, those entities from that uh religion uh have stayed alive. Their name has remained in the names of the weeks. And in even saying them, like I said, that's breaking some of the scriptural uh orders that we've already read, uh, the no no's that you're not allowed to do. Verse three. Um but it's saying here Solomon was dedicated to the Lord, except for the fact that he also burned incense to those other entities and deities. And Lord here, by the way, is being translated from the word name Jehovah into the English word Lord. Verse 4, now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So he's gone to, they call it the high place, that's the place to presumably get as close to God up in the heavens as you can. So they built the holy stuff there. Um, whatever the different religions are is like generally what they do. They build you up at a high point. Um, um, so he's gone there and made those sacrifices and most likely it's animal sacrifices. So a thousand animals now have had to die. Almost certainly animal sacrifices, burnt offerings it even says. But um, he's done that. A huge barbecue. Verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? So now, um, this is an article of faith, but clearly, since another part of the Bible, what Bible like we've read before, it says that no one has seen God or heard God's voice uh, at any time. Um, and yet, you see here, there is um, this even appearance, it's saying, by the Lord to Solomon. Um, and Lord, again, is being translated from the word um, Jehovah, but the word God with the capital G is being translated from the lowercase e word Elohim. Uh, the same generic word, if I remember right, for God when they're talking about other uh, religious deities. Um, just as a footnote, uh, let's just read moving on to Now the king went to Gibeon the sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So I thought maybe we did just read that also. So he that's where he offered a thousand burnt offerings in Gibeon, verse five. The same Gibeon. Um, haven't we gotten to that point where yeah, we did, where the man sort of cowardly sacrificed the well being of his wife slash concubine, uh, however you want to categorize her, um, sacrificed her to the angry rapist mob that ended up gang raping the woman and killed her. But he, no guilt on him for doing it. He saved his own cakes uh, and no condemnation at all from any of the religion, from uh, God, quote unquote, that they have interactions with at all for none of that and no concern for the loss of the woman. Uh, at least a lot less concern for the woman's loss than for the man's cakes. It's, 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 it, 
it seems to me it's clearly not God Almighty that they're talking about in these different instances, although it may be and almost certainly is some sort of supernatural interaction with uh, that the people are having. Um, uh, so I wouldn't discount it. Um, verse 5, he's getting that appearance and also getting the Lord to ask him that, to, that he can ask whatever he wants to. So it's like the genie and the lamp, only even better, you're not limited to three, uh, and you're getting it from God Almighty. Verse 6, if you believe this is God. Verse 6, and Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So Solomon is very wise. He's even using compliments and borderline flattery in dealing with the Lord that he's having an interaction with here. Verse 7, now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David. But I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. So now he's started with flattery, compliments. He's following it up with humility, uh, stating the fact that he's pretty green. He doesn't know what's what with running a kingdom. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. So um, now he's laying it on thick because we, he knows, maybe he doesn't know, one of the things that has gotten the leaders of the people in trouble more than once is when they've decided to run a census and count the people and see just how numerous they are. Are they really as the sand of the sea, trillions and trillions? Or or is it a countable number, a knowable number? Is is it, oh, okay, God wasn't talking literally. God was talking figuratively. There, um, those moments have happened again and again, and they always seem to upset the entity, the deity, the God that they're serving when they have those moments. So Solomon is bringing it up very wisely that he knows the people are many, whether it's the uh, trillions or just a whole bunch. Verse 9, therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So Solomon is asking for wisdom and um, specifically guidance and understanding in, in leading the people that he's now king of. Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. So the narrator here, um, is letting us know. And narrator clearly is unclear who it is. It's not someone named First King, um, even though that's what the book is named after or named. Um, but they are letting us know that the Lord was pleased with the with um, Solomon's request for wisdom. Verse eleven. Then God said to him, "Because you've asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself." nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. So now the response that Solomon is getting from the Lord, and again, I'm just going to call it the Lord since it's us reading, or God if you prefer, um, however you want to think of it, the response that Solomon is getting now is that God is pleased with him and the request that he's made um, 
instead of asking clout or money or uh, revenge. Verse 12, behold, I've done according to your word. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. So Solomon is being given the promise in answer to his request that he's going to be one of a kind. No one is has ever been like him before, and no one's ever going to be like him again. He is unique. Um, let's see how. Verse 13, and I've also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So um, he's saying, and now Solomon is being guaranteed a name like no other among all the kings all his days. So that all his days, does that mean just while he's alive or ever? It seems to me it means while he's alive because it wouldn't say all his days. Um, so Solomon has that reputation. He's gone down in history. Verse 14, so if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes, and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So um, saying that David walked in the ways is um, true with an asterisk because David was faithful somewhat. It seems to me um, not any more or less faithful than any run of the mill human being that you come across. And in some ways, even worse with the treachery and lack of loyalty to uh, people who were there for him through thick and thin, thin sometimes. Um, but maybe he had his reasons. Uh, it just didn't always read that way. Um, and he didn't seem like the most honest person either. Um, but whatever the case may be, he also has gone down in history. Um, and he's being told, Solomon now, his son, is being told, that if he follows that example of being faithful to God, basically, I'm paraphrasing, then, verse 15, then Solomon awoke, and indeed, it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem, he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up his offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So it turned out Solomon was just dreaming. He wasn't having an actual vision while he's awake. Not to say that it wasn't supernatural also, because uh, at least according to the Bible, the Lord God uh, uh, in the Old Testament and in the New uses dreams to interact with and in many cases guide human behavior or at least influence it. So um, however you want to think of it, that's what Solomon is interacting with. And I guess in that sense, it would be a, a easier way to understand um, how it wouldn't necessarily be contradicting the, what the New Testament says about no one having heard God's words because he's dreaming. So almost certainly some other intermediary uh, was there or present if you're going to say it was from God Almighty, if for no other reason than the fact that he's dreaming. Verse 16, now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. So now two working girls have made their appearance before Solomon. He's acting basically as the judge now um, over the people. And um, now he's got a case in front of him. And remember, prostitution and sex work, uh, it, it wasn't always illegal. 
and it's uh in fact it was one of the occupations of several different notable people throughout the um reading so far we're not even halfway through the bible rahab for instance uh was one of the working girls who shows up in uh the old testament and then also gets listed in the new testament when they go through jesus genealogy she's listed there as and she also was a prostitute um so the stigma attached to sex work is uh, a relatively new thing it's not it hasn't always been that way norms and things change that's like we've said again and again verse 17 and women one woman said oh my lord this woman and i dwell in the same house and i gave birth while she was in the house so um the one woman is saying that they are roommates and she uh was pregnant and now she's even had given birth uh at home verse 18 then it happened the third day after i had given birth that this woman also gave birth and we were together no one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house so both of the women are working girls and both of them were pregnant at the same time and uh, even given birth near the same time so may have even gotten pregnant at the same time we've read about threesome a threesome in the bible also that didn't get condemned or even uh, a, a brow raised over it also in the bible in just the reading so far and you can read about them i try to label the different readings um from the naked truth here on anchor uh, as best i can it's closely related to the topic of what's in there especially when it's something saucy like that threesomes and whatnot but you see here anyway the both of the women were pregnant both now given birth one gave birth three days after the other uh, also there at home and only the two of them were there at home verse 19 and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him so she's saying that um they both gave birth and the births were okay but the parenting style of the one woman is kind of lacking you're not supposed to sleep with your newborns your babies your infants you're not supposed to lay them in certain positions either when you may um sleep um but apparently she was unaware of that or didn't care and uh, rolled over on her baby and killed him verse 20 so she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side well let me read this again so she arose in the middle of the night and see i hesitate on reading that because i don't have any kids in this existence right now that i know of or maybe in some alternate existence i do have kids and so i wouldn't want to be manifesting something like that for myself so this is one of those verses that i'd suggest you read yourself and if you you do have kids in this uh, dispensation of time, be careful about reading it. Um, but I'm going to reread it and just uh, as best I can, maybe just go back over it. Um, so she arose in the middle of the night and took son from Sai while your maid servant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. So she's saying that um the woman swapped babies in the middle of the night because her child had died after she rolled over on it and um swapped it with the mother whose baby had not who, whose baby was alive and well 
while they slept. And now she brought a case against her for doing that. Um, pretty cold-blooded thing to do. And about trying to understand the reading of that verse, um, just in case it's your first time reading with me, I identify as a Christian, bread butter Christianity, specifically focusing on the things Jesus has to say. So one of the things Jesus tells us in the Gospels, the tiny tithe of the Bible, is um, about words and their power and how they have the power to justify and to condemn you. So um, Matthew 12, 37 will explain it better than I can if you want to read it yourself, for by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. But all that being said, and then we'll move on, is why I try to be careful about the things that I read out loud, even if they are amazing, especially since they are here in the Bible. Verse 21, and when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. So she's saying when she got up to feed her baby in the morning, the baby was dead. Um, and she probably panicked at first. But then after she calmed down and um, got a look at the baby, she realized it wasn't hers. And um, a lot of babies look just alike when they're born, no matter what quote-unquote race they are. A lot look alike, uh, like aliens, newborn sort of aliens. And then the colors kick in and change and all sorts of things happen. But at first, a lot of babies look alike. Um, so she's realized, she realized, though, that um, the baby, had, her baby had been stolen and swapped for the dead baby. Um, verse 22, then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. So um, they, they're seeking justice, like going to Judge Mathis. They're uh, looking for some wisdom to be broken off for them and someone who's going to decide the case for them um, from Judge Solomon, King Solomon, verse 23. The king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. So Solomon is weighing out what's going on in front of him, the case that's in front of him. Excuse me. About the women disputing whose baby is alive and whose baby is deceased. Verse 24, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. So Solomon has decided what he should do, and it's going to involve a sword. Verse 25, and the king said, <clears throat> divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. So I guess just like you would a stake that's in dispute, or an amount of money that's in dispute, the king's decided to split it in half uh, between the two of them. That's the equitable thing to do. So he's saying split the baby. That's where that saying is rooted in um, with Solomon saying split the baby to make the decision on what to do. Verse 26, then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, 
Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divine. So the women have shown their true colors. The one who actually is the mother of the living baby um, has decided it'd be better for the child to live than to be killed just to settle, settle the dispute with the lying woman who stole him. Whereas the woman who stole the baby doesn't really care about the baby because she didn't, didn't give birth to it. The one that, in her case, not to say a woman has to give birth to care or any of adoptive parents care, sometimes more so than birth parents. But in this case, she's um, she doesn't care about the baby she's stolen. Her own baby is gone. She didn't care much about it. She rolled over on it and killed it. Um, so she really doesn't care. So she's shown her true colors um, by saying, no, she'd rather the baby be split in two. Uh, to settle her dispute with the woman whose baby she stole than for the baby to um, just be given to the other woman and live. Verse 27, so the king answered and said, give the first woman a living child and by no means kill her. She is his mother. So Solomon used his wisdom to ferret out the truth and figured out that the one woman, kind of cold-blooded, sloppy, rolled over on her baby and killed it, then stole another woman's baby baby, and is not even willing to have a baby pay the ultimate price of its life, uh, all the subtle her shenanigans uh, has shown herself. She's shown her hand, recognized who she is, just like they say, believe people who believe people when they tell you show you who they are the first time. Don't um don't try to deny it. Just accept it. When you catch somebody stealing from you, catch somebody lying to you, catch somebody doing you wrong the first time, go ahead and believe it. Don't need a house to fall on your head. Uh, don't need the baby to be split in two to figure it out. Um, verse 28, and all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had, had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So the fact that Solomon used his judgment and wisdom to figure out what was going on, spare the baby's life, and um, show who was lying and figure out the motives between the parties involved because he was so able to do that so well. People were impressed by his wisdom and recognizing uh, probably through some of the other things he uh, has the reputation of doing um, that God's with him in judgment anyway, and to this point anyhow. This point is also the last verse in the chapter, so that's where we're going to end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope that it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Like I said, past readings are available with the video versions where I'm reading along with you um, right there for free on my website. It's free on tbl.com. Just go to the spirit pages there and you can see the red letters and what they mean to me and how they've affected my life and some of the readings that are most close and dear to me. Um, feel free to make a donation, make a comment, um, and um, or just enjoy the free stuff. That's what it's there for. And I hope to see you again next time. I love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.